Welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Sam Tipton. I am Danny Simmons. And I am G.W. Woods. Thank you for joining us again. It's good to be with you all. Me too. Good to be here, yeah. Today we're going to be studying the parables. Not all of them. That would take longer than I think we have time tonight. <laughs> and we're not going to just focus on one either. We're going to survey uh, a collection that we came up with. The, the Sower, the Wicked Vine Dressers, the Prodigal Son, and the Rich Man, and Lazarus. But let's take a step back and, and set the stage, appreciate what we're about to begin to study. These parables are teachings of Jesus, our Lord, and they're, they're recorded for us. And they, in them, he reveals secrets about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus being God, remember, he, God created all these things. He created heaven and earth. He shows us, and he chooses to show us, heavenly things with earthly things which is incredible that that's possible. And it, it, it makes, he must have done that on purpose. <laughs> and Romans 1.20 says as much as that, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. God made the world a certain way so that maybe he, he could reveal himself to us and his son teaches us things about the heaven. And we, we know that the co- things on earth are copies of things in heaven, right? Hebrews tells us that, Certain things, like the tabernacle, the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, all have copies in heaven. And so we, in the parables, we see something very similar. And Jesus is using these, these things to reveal truths about the kingdom to us. We'll never have a complete knowledge of the kingdom in this life, I think, uh, like Christ had. But, but Jesus had no no constraint on that he he was fully god and fully man and uh, he came to to teach us these things um as as a perfect teacher he chose to leave these parables that we're about to look at to us to learn from and i used to think that the parables were maybe some of the more introductory pieces of literature if you will for babes in the faith to to start to cut their teeth on uh and they 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 are that but i also think there's there's deep truth and there's many layers to these things um that we're going to look at tonight so i i'm looking forward to the study and i hope the listeners are too and that that we might show them something new or stir their knowledge get them interested to go back we're we're not going to read every parable to you so i I hope that you'll take the time to go back and read these parables. I don't know. I saw some new things when I was preparing for this. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited about the, about this one. Uh, so let, let's just jump off from that point. Dan, I know you, ha- you had some things to say about uh, what parables are as well. Yeah, and you covered a lot of it. You've done a very good job to kind of set, set the tone here for us. It is an exciting study because, as you said, it, these things reveal themselves to us. Uh, through the years even. We read a parable that we haven't read in a few years and we see it again and we see something else there that we just weren't able to see before. So there's a great beauty in there. And as you pointed out, the Lord himself has given them to us and his word is alive. And so all of that works out the way that it should. For those who are concerned about the word parable, what does it mean? Most of us think, you know, it's a story if you try to identify that. Uh, It comes from the Greek word parabalo, and and para means close beside or alongside, and balo means to cast. So Jesus will cast alongside a truth about the kingdom or a truth about God, a truth about heaven, and he casts that alongside something earthly that we can can understand. And the parable of the sower is a great example of that. Um, Jesus used earthly truths to teach about spiritual truths or truths concerning the kingdom. So to cast alongside, he sets earthly next to spiritual to give us better understanding. Uh, as I look through the Bible, I can find about 46 parables in the New Testament. 
Uh, and there's 15 in the Old Testament, so that may surprise some people. The parables were used before Jesus' time. Um, the Gospel of Luke has more parables than any other gospel, and the Gospel of John doesn't have any parables at all. And so each writer is unique in what they deliver to us, what the Spirit has moved them to say, and the time in which they say that. So, so Luke is the heaviest in the parables. You want to read a lot of parables? You can jump into Luke and, and you'll find them there. Uh, I mentioned parables in the Old Testament. If I can make a point here. Yeah, yeah, go real ahead. quick on exactly what you and, and Sam both said. You know, every time you read this, you read a parable. And you go back and you look at them, you get something different. And you get something different. Now, both of you just said that, but you said it in your own way. Sure. And when you, because the way you said it was, there are none in the book of John. And, you know, there, there are this many in the Bible there. And, and that's point of view from each one of these men. They saw the same thing. They witnessed this. They were of the same mind. They were of the same spirit. But what they were commissioned to write about, commissioned to talk about, was what really impacted them the most. Sure. And that's what they were getting the most out of that. It's like Proverbs. Every time we go back, or I go back and say we, and we should, but every time I go back and read Proverbs and I study that, I get something different out of a verse that I thought I knew. You know, it's a different time in my life. I'm experiencing yeah. something, experiencing something different. So I'm a different. I could be a different character in each one of these parables when I read that, as Christ is is bringing it out. Mm -hmm. And then the same with the the writers of the New Testament as well, those who yeah. recorded the parables of Jesus. So. Yeah, and we're going to touch on that too. That some some who heard parables got nothing out of it. Some uh, got something from it. And the disciples, we see them saying, "Can you explain to us uh, the parable that you just told?" So there's there's levels there too. It's happening in real time as it's recorded in the New Testament. We see that same mindset today with people sure. receiving the Word of God. We see people who just they don't want to have anything to do with it. They're saying, "You know, never mind. I'm going to go in and do my own thing." And there are those who who are interested and they say, "Tell me more." That's right. You know, and that's right. As we get into um, the, um, the our first parable here, we're going to see how each and it, it relates to each and every one of us. So. Yeah. So what qualifies a parable is again there, there's a truth or a story that's laid out that someone can take hold of that demonstrates a powerful truth about the kingdom or a truth about themselves. In, in the Old Testament, Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve, uh, David has committed adultery with Uriah the Hittite's wife uh, Bathsheba. Nathan will come to David, and Nathan is a prophet of God, and he tells him a story about a man who was rich, but he killed a poor man's sheep to offer to his friends, and David is so angry, he can hardly contain himself, and he says, he says, that man has to repay, this is a story, and he says, that man has to repay fourfold what he took from that poor man, and we know Nathan says, you are the man, and then the parable applied perfectly to a heart that was ready to receive it. David knew. And he, he said, I have sinned against God. And he, he begins to turn his life from the very moment that he heard that parable. Uh, in Judges chapter 9, we have Jotham. He, he'll give a parable to the men of Shechem. Jotham is the only living son of Gideon or Jeroboam. Uh, all the other sons were murdered on a rock. And so Jotham stands up and gives a parable about the trees asking for someone to lead over them uh, to warn the men of Shechem. And he explains it in those verses, Judges 9, 5 through 20. Isaiah 5 is another one in my mind from the Old Testament where the Lord sets a parable before the nation of Israel, uh, Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, uh, about his vineyard, that he chose a, a high and, and perfect hill, that he removed all of the stones and the rocks from the soil. He built a hedge around it. He built a tower and he planted the best that, that could be planted. And he says, what more could I have done to my vineyard? And the question is to the nation of Israel, why did I get wild grapes when I planted good grapes? And so again, there's, there's a parable there. There's a picture of a guy tending to a vineyard and yet they can see the application that, oh, we're the grapes and we're acting wild. We're, we're not behaving. We're not the good that God expected from us. So th those are three examples of the 15 that I found in the Old Testament. Uh, so Jesus is not the first to use them. Mm -hmm. And then that's that needs to be mentioned as well. No, they've been there from from the time God's given us His Word, um, and they've had their purpose, you know, through through the ages as well. Yeah. Uh, the primary purpose was uh, was really to uh, to conceal. You know, He was speaking in parables because a lot of people's hearts there were hardened. I would I would say a majority, a group of people, they were there to try to trap Him, try to trick Him, 
try to trip him up in something that he would he would say, and to just outright prove him wrong because they did not accept him as their king. He, he didn't come the way they wanted him to come. He wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to take physical revenge on the people who had who had uh, imprisoned them and enslaved them and and have persecuted them. And Christ says, "It's not what I'm here to do." He right. was meek. He was lowly, and and so he. There were people who they weren't going to re- receive this. So Christ started speaking to those. Um, you know, the disciples' attitude, uh, they were blessed. And, and, you know, Matthew chapter 13, he learned the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which kind of goes into the general theme uh, of what the uh, what the gospel or the, the parables actually are. But another purpose wasn't just to conceal, but it was also to to reveal as well. Um, the, the disciples understood, uh, once they understood the basic meaning uh, of the parables, uh, in the, the, the comparison of the known or the earthly truths uh, with the unknown, which in other words, the, the heavenly truths, then they would, they would start to understand things a little more. Sound like you said, it's building, it's layers. You know, you start layering on on top of that. Once you understand that this is about the kingdom, then you can start putting, uh, you start putting, putting more with that and you start understanding it and you start getting it a little more. Um, the general theme is, is the kingdom of heaven. From the, the, from the parables. From the Jesus. parables, yeah. Jesus' yeah. parables, the general kingdom theme is, is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, there, there are kind of three sub-themes, if you will. Uh, the character of the kingdom, character of the king, and then also the character uh, of the king's subjects that are in each in the parables that, that Jesus is telling. There are two extremes that we have to avoid here, though, when we look at the, the interpretation of the parables of seeking to find the spiritual truth in every little detail. In other words, yeah. taking each verse and saying, "Okay, I'm, I'm, this is this is what I'm about." Okay, Jesus said this. Here it is in red letters, which wears me out too. But <laughs> here it is in red letters, so this is what I'm about. You know, so yeah. and I think one that that is really out there, and I'm going to throw this. I'm going to go there. Judge not that you be not judged. Mm-hmm. You know, people will grab that. Oh, can't judge anyone for anything. That's not what that says. Right. Redirect. You're just taking part of that. You're taking it out of context, and you're putting it to something that you want to work for you, not you working for Jesus and the word that he's given us to live by. So, sure. And saying that there's only one spiritual truth in, in each parable, which again goes back, what are we going through in our the time in our lives when we read these parables? You know, and the, uh, the prodigal son is a good one. Um, what, what character are we in that one? You know, I could be the father. I've got three kids. I, I could be the youngest son, which I have been the youngest son taking off my dad's watch the dust come off my feet you know going down the road as I, as I was leaving and uh, then also I've been the older brother and why should we receive this guy back look at everything that he's done yeah and then uh, also the the servants in there as well uh, I played a part in each one of those the ones that were mentioned you know welcome him back you know the king the dad said put a ring on his finger which yeah. was a sign of acceptance at that time you belong so he said put a ring on his finger put a put a robe on it put a slip on and Let's have a party. You know, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. And the servants did that, and they did that willingly because right. they were in subjection to the king. So mm-hmm. at some point in my life and every day, I play a part of each one of those. And that was just a quick, you know, quick excerpt from, from one, and hopefully we can get into that parable eventually. But um, the first one I think we're going to go concentrate on is Matthew chapter 13. Yeah, that that's right. And just back to what you said, they... They asked him, why do you speak in parables to the people in Matthew 13? Verse 13, Jesus says, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes the prophecy from Isaiah. And so this is important because Jesus is not teaching in parables to strictly conceal. Because if he wanted to conceal God's truth from men, he would have said nothing. He can conceal everything by just keeping his mouth closed. Mm -hmm. He is revealing the prophecy of Isaiah that watch their hearts. I'm going to talk to them about truths of the kingdom and watch how they move. And just as you pointed out, they wanted him out. He was getting in the way of who they were. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And now this guy shows up. He comes onto the scene and everyone's following him. Well, if you've been leading and teaching, you're a doctor of the law, your job's being taken from you. And so it infuriated them and they would not hear these simple teachings about seeds going into the ground. It's not, it's not hard. There, there's a great simplicity to the gospel of Christ, and yet it is, it is unendingly deep mm-hmm. because, of, because of what we talked about. 
And so with the parable of the sower, Sam, what, what is it uh, in the sower uh, that, that you wanted to talk about? Or what, what do you see there that's just gold? Well, it's, it's important to remember that there's, there's four different types of soils mm-hmm. here that that's brought out. And so we definitely need to highlight those. Um, the first one that, that he brings up is, is the wayside. Um, so let's let's see here. Verse 4. Verse 4. Mm-hmm. Christ said, A sower went out to sow, and some seed fell by the wayside. And in his explanation of this, he says, uh, the wayside, this is where... Um, the, the the word is not understood so that the word is planted but they understand not and so this is I think maybe the, the hardest sort of heart someone whose heart is so hardened that they can't see themselves in relation to sin or holiness to even death I mean if anything should make us try to look outside of our self-understanding is a realization that we're not eternal. We're going to die one day. Right. Uh, and there's some things I don't know about that. No one's seen on the other sort of other side of the door of death. Uh, so this this type of soil, which will Christ will later go on to explain, is a type of heart is just so re, uh, repellent to spiritual ideas. And um, you know, I think of Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing. But in that hearing is an understanding. Mm-hmm. So these these are people where that faith can't even be begin to grow. And this is this is definitely a state where men's hearts men start hearts can be. They, they don't they don't understand God. They don't understand the unseen world. They don't understand uh, that the devil operates in that area. And that, that's what Christ warns us that that's Satan, right. the birds, come and they snatch the word away from the soil. That's right. And. So, so you tell someone the truth, and this is, you know, sowing the seed. We're attempting to sow the seed, and someone says, I don't believe in God. I don't want to hear that. That, that is the condition of a hard heart. And Jesus tells us what happens to that seed. It's yeah. still laying on the heart, and Satan will not let it sit there. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Satan believes in the power of the Word of God. That's a great point. If, it, would, if it was it to stay there, that person would chew on it. Maybe the, the soil would get, get soft, and the seed would start to grow. It needs to be taken away. If that word's taken away, uh, it, it can't grow. It can't grow. It won't grow. That's, well, that's a, that's an Paul amazing wrote to point. the church at Corinth in First Corinthians. He says, I've planted a Paul's water, but God yeah. gave the increase. So yeah. yeah, if that seed's there long enough it's, yeah. and it gets watered, it, God it, it can take root. Work. That's yeah. how seeds work? Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's, <laughs> it's always amazing. been that way. <laughs> so he's talking to all these farmers about how seeds grow. And, you know, yeah. some fell by the wayside. You know, most of those guys who yeah. have ever thrown seed, like, yeah, I dropped a few on the hard ground. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's true. That does happen. Well, it looks like something. That there's something else bigger happening yeah. when you drop those seeds. And like, man, that's awesome. What you were saying earlier about how parables conceal. Maybe there's there's a wisdom there in why Jesus chose parables because if if Jesus was to just in plain terms describe the kingdom, they may not relate to that as much. With a parable, they're they're going to remember this. Yeah. And then as time marched on and Christ would die and be risen and, and more the gospel would spread. And they hear more things. Maybe that seed would start to to bloom a little bit. And what Christ was doing with the parable was planting the seed. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he was doing. Waiting until they're, you know, he opens up their understanding of the scriptures, and then maybe even the disciples themselves remember these parables and add another layer on. It's exactly what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. What is the That's seed? Incredible. It's the word of God. Yeah. And Jesus was the word <laughs> yes. John chapter one. So what an amazing thing to, to be giving this parable and to see the reaction of these Pharisees, those hard hearted, and then the disciples, you know, they, they say, can you tell us again? Uh, they've got a different heart. They want to know what he's talking about. So there's, there's a lot going on here to think about. So, so what's the second soil? Yeah. The, the second soil are the, the stony places. Hmm. And so in the parable, he says, some fell in the stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. And so in his explanation, he says, but he who receives the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So the stony place, the, the rocky places, the, the, the seed is able to, to begin to grow, but there's no... Uh, availability for that root to go down deep. That gr- growth is 
is limited here. Yeah. So what's interesting about this is that these are people who have accepted the truth. <laughs> they've believed. That's right. They've, they've maybe even, you can say, come to faith, but that, that, that faith doesn't grow. And Christ is warning us there's danger in that. That's right. Like, don't, you, gro- growth is important. Uh, because he receives temptation it and tribulation will come yeah. in, in, in all of our lives. And uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a warning here in this. And this is like the, the crowds that followed Jesus. Uh, they, they were receiving food and they were following him around everywhere. But when he gave them those hard teachings about like, you must leave your, your mother, your father. You must take up your cross and follow me. You must count the cost. Then some of them abandoned them. That's right. Even though they 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 recognized him as being someone worthy of following, but they weren't able to to go the the, the full to to the fullest to grow to to really uh, to follow him in, in full faith. And it, you know the, this idea of being rooted reminded me of Ephesians three seventeen. Uh, let, let Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. You know. And Colossians 6 and 7 has a similar thing where Paul's encouraging them to be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. What passage was that? Colossians 2. Uh, six Colossians 6. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Probably speaking too quickly. Uh, Colossians 2 and 6 and 7. Okay. Talks about this, this rootedness. So uh, this is just highlighting the, the importance of growth. What else, what else do you all see there? I'm, I'm thinking Psalm chapter 1. Yeah. yeah, Psalm yeah, Psalm good. one is you know blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God, you yeah. know, uh, and, and and finds joy there. Like the tree planted by the rivers That's of water, right. yeah. He's planted, and his fa- his leaf does not wither or fade, and he bears fruit. Yeah. And this tells us that because of the heat of the sun, it withered quickly and and died. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no fruit born out of it because of where it's planted. Uh, and again, just the heart. It's the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can examine our own hearts. That's the other beautiful thing about this. I can examine the amount of growth in my life. I can examine how often I am meditating on the Word of God. I can do a quick mm-hmm. litmus test anytime I want and know that I've kind of pulled away from the Word of God. I'm not in it as much as I used to be. So what's the result of that? How have I been behaving these last week or two? Um, there, there yeah. are absolute direct implications to the oh, condition yeah. of our heart. And it, there's no one greater to teach these truths, of course, right. than, than God himself. And the, the way he offers this is a powerful you might be thinking, how do you grow your, how do you grow faith? How do you, <laughs> what's that? The scriptures tell us, right? I mean, faith comes by hearing. So to continue to study second Peter, well, Peter says, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, mm-hmm. knowledge, mm-hmm. knowledge, self-control. So, so there, there are steps that you can go and the end of that is, is love, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing passage there because it says that if, if you don't lack these things, you'll be given an abundant entrance right. into the kingdom. You cannot it's a pretty fall. good checklist. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. So this next one among the thorns, the third soil. So this one represents one who hears the word, but you they can't they lack the ability to to bear fruit. They do grow. Yeah. But you they can't grow, they don't bear but fruit. No fruit. Yeah. So they, the word's there, it's been rooted, it's it's grounded, and it starts to grow. But before time to bear fruit something happens yeah what specifically happens well it's choked. It, it, yeah it, it's, it's the things down. around the heart right. it's, it's the thing good, around good soil it's the things yeah yeah so the soil is there it's pure heart yeah but they let too many worldly worldly things come in and, and choke them out you know the cares of the world deceitfulness of riches the pleasures of life you know paul talks to us about um the love of money it, it wears me out when people will take those things mm-hmm. we talked about, getting verses of Scripture and, and molding them uh, around your life. Money's not the root of all evil. No. It's our attitude toward that money. It's, it's the love of money. Love. I heard someone say once upon a time that, that money is beautiful. Beautifully explained, money is amoral. It does mm-hmm. not have morals. It, it, it uh, takes the morals of the person who possesses it. So that very wow. person who is giving that 20 or 50 or whatever you're able to give in the plate on Sunday mornings, you know, giving it back to the Lord, or you're buying something for someone that a needy, a, you know, a brother or sister. That same twenty, fifty, or hundred could have been used in a drug deal sure. a week before yeah. that. And does that make the the money bad? Well, no. It's it's the money is nothing. It's just a piece of paper. 
and that's exactly relating to exactly what Christ is saying here. You know, these things, they took the word and it started to grow, but before it could, you know, it could grab a hold mm-hmm. and bear fruit, something happened. Yeah. Things in the way. Yeah, something in the world. world. The attitude toward worldly things came up, and it, it could be anything. If it cares of this world, uh, cause us to be unprepared. Uh, the deceitfulness of riches, again, yeah. back to back to the money thing. And then you don't really have to have money even to let the pleasures of life get in your way no, and to uh, to keep you from from growing. And you know those involved in the flesh particularly can distract us from from spiritual growth and from growing. So. You know, sowing to sowing to the flesh, it definitely will make it just impossible uh, to reap of the spirit. Uh, that's we're, right. We're fleshly minded. That's we right. can't. We will not be spiritually minded. Galatians six tells us that. Galatians six is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So money, money is amoral, and yet Jesus says that the deceitfulness of riches will pull us away from producing fruits of righteousness or fruit of righteousness. Um, and I, I believe that what he's saying there. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches themselves are not deceitful. They're, they're not plotting and planning against us. It is where we are applying our trust. Yeah. Correct. I, I got a nice house. I, I, got a, I got a house on the ocean front. And I take my friends there. And I, and I, I begin to trust in those things. That th- this is who I am. And you, you remove yourself from the trust you should have in God and his word. And your heart is hardened toward his word through that process. So... I'm glad you said that it's amoral. Yeah. And then, you know, he says the deceitfulness of riches, it's because of where the heart is going uh, in the following of riches. That The deceitfulness that we trust in will never see us through, and it certainly will not get us into heaven. It's the trust in the, the living Word of God. Paul commands the rich to use their money wisely. In First Timothy, he tells them, you know, to, to give and to, to do it properly. And That's right. He doesn't condemn being rich. No. He condemns a bad attitude toward riches and you know the worldly, uh, the worldly pleasures of life that can come with it. And, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins, and you know those type of attitudes. Sure. So, and and it's easy to get caught up. It's really easy to get caught up in. And there, there's uh, some rich characters of faith in Hebrews 11 that were filthy rich. Uh, Abraham's overloaded with gold, silver, and livestock. Mm-hmm. Genesis 13. David, I think he had a few bucks, didn't he, David? King David. King David had some change yeah, in his pocket. Some change, yeah. So again, you know, he's rich, abundantly rich. God had blessed him, and there was peace all around him. He had so much power, the greatest king the nation had ever known, and yet he's he's mentioned in Hebrews eleven. And so we don't want to apply that if you have money, that you know, you, that's a sin. That's not what not it says. All. I'm glad no. you pointed out what Paul said to yeah. the rich. That's right. Do this uh, and live a godly life. So now all of these negative things. All this bad soil, this bad stuff, you know, where is, is there hope? So, yes, there is. And this is the one that's actually spoken of the most and the actually commended, you know, when it fell on the, on the good soil. And that Matthew 13 and 23, part of that says it's he who hears the word and understands it. How do you understand something? Well, it's because you pay attention to it. You study it. If you do not get it at first, you, you concentrate on it. You study it. You go to great lengths to understand when we get our driver's license, there's a book that's over in my day anyway, back in my day, there was a book that was given to us and we studied that. And it was not an open book test. So you had to learn what was in that book and you went and you took your test. And if you failed, what did you do? You went home and you studied that book. Because again. they knew they you get, didn't understand you it. You didn't understand How about it. Right? That? He who likes understanding is not going to get it. So you studied and we will be very quick to apply ourselves and be very diligent to learn and study these worldly things, whether it be school, you know, education, learn learning something for a job, advancing and this and that. But when the word of God comes up, we kinda a lot of times it's very easy for God's word to take a back seat sure. to all of that stuff. Oh, so yeah. for more understanding, it goes back to the layer that you were talking about you have to read more you have to study more you talk like this this is this is good for us to sit here and do this and talk about god's word because we learn every time that we do so yeah in verse 23 the last part of or part of it there says he indeed bears fruit and produces and luke and luke 8 and 15 uh, adds that uh, that he hears the word with a noble and a good heart and then he keeps it and he bears fruit with patience awesome that's with great patience. Yeah, with patience so there's a noble and a good heart. 
and there are those who those can understand the word and they're going to keep it and with patience they're going to produce the fruit in their lives and they're going to grow and in growing themselves other people around them are going to grow and it's just going to continue to to roll yeah the fact that you mentioned patience that's what luke says the, the way these gospels tie in together so beautifully mark chapter 4 is also where the parable of the sower is told and there's some wording there that's different but in mark 4 there's an added parable that is not in matthew mark 4:26 jesus said the kingdom of god is this if a man should scatter seed on the ground we've heard that before and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow he himself does not know how Man, that's the patience of the farmer. Mm -hmm. His dad did it. His dad before him did it. It's his turn to plant seed, and he's got to go to bed and wait, right? The farmer can't plant the seed and say, all right, we've tried with miracle growing. <laughs> that stuff doesn't work the way we hoped that it would. He can't rush God's timing, the way that the Lord will, will produce this. And so I would encourage anyone who hears this to, to take courage uh, if you're struggling with something or you don't feel like you're growing like you should, you may be lacking the patience of, of there, there's something I've got to work through. There's something I got to deal with here and I need to do that in a godly way. Uh, James speaks about that as well, that when, we're, when we have troubles and tribulations that are, it increases our patience. And he, he looks to Job. Look at the patience of Job. And so these things are there. We want it now. I'll follow the Lord, but he better change everything in my life by tomorrow. Give me patience and give it to me now, Lord. <laughs> right. I'm not going to wait any longer right. than two James, days. Yeah, James 1 and 2, you referenced that. You yeah. know, count it all, um, count all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. You know, That's right. Because uh, working of it produces patience and, and your faith. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's hard to go through. You can't, you're not looking at it and say, oh, this is a wonderful situation. I mean, no, it's tough, man. It's hard. And nothing about and nothing about life is easy. Okay. Know, we have our joys and we have the things that we we appreciate, but life's tough, man. That's right. There and, and I don't know of anyone who has who has not followed God and can honestly say that I believe they've gotten out of it alive because they didn't have that patience, which led to the faith and which gives us hope through the grace of God. Yeah. So awesome. you know, there's fruit that's that we bear here. Um, just going through a couple of things here, winning souls. Uh, that's that's great, great fruit. You know, just sharing material things, the fruit of the spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter five is awesome, that's awesome, right. awesome, awesome in that. And one thing I'd like to point out, and let, let's turn to that real quick if we could. I don't want to draw it out too long, but let's Galatians there's, five. There's something that I need to. We really need to point out when we're talking about these things. There's a checklist here. Galatians chapter five, you know, people will ask, what is your, what are your thou shalt and thou shalt not of the New Testament, right? And we're looking for the 10 commandments that were given to him. Well, if you look at Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 19, it says, and the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that's a long list. If you were to just look at that and say, no way. Are you serious? But, but, he follows that up so beautifully, starting in verse 22, but he says, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Note as we're reading this, the length of the, the, the list that we're to stay away from. Right. But then he says the things that you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no loss. In other words, just overwhelm yourself with, with these things. Yeah. You stay away from those things. Mm -hmm. Overwhelm yourself with these things. This is what you do. Yeah. And if you do these things, that short list, then you're going to stay away from those things on the long list. That's right. And people miss that. Well, there's so many. How, how am I supposed to stay away from? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Look at the following verse, and he tells you how to do it. God never gives us a commandment or tells us that we are to do something without giving us a reason why. Yeah. You know, he, he tells us you're to do these things, and you're to do this to glorify God. He says you're to do these things. And if you look in verse 24, he said, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion. If we live in spirit, let us also 
walk in spirit. Verse 26 is key. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What does John tell us? God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. That is that is verse 22 right there. Yeah. That is verse 22, and, with, and that is producing spirit which goes right or producing fruit which goes right back to this parable that jesus is telling about the the seed and the type of soul and this is the fruit that you're going to you're gonna you're gonna produce who doesn't want those things oh man yeah (laughs) and you you look back at the works of the flesh those are the thorns they get in the way of this fruit absolutely you cannot have love if you have hatred right you can't no i mean they're they just don't, they can't coexist yeah in, no. in some ways that's like you, you wine outburst of wrath and gentleness and ki- kindness i mean yeah. it's like having jesus and 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 why do you have why did we have jesus because we have satan yeah. you know we have we have sin and death and we have to have life and that was christ that was jesus right. coming and dying for us there are two sides to the coin you yeah. know you can't have one without the other you know there's no reason to preach heaven if there is no such thing as hell and we can't deny that no. Because as you pointed out earlier, Sam, we're all going to die, and man, I need hope. Right. I got. I, I have to have an assurance that there's something better than this. Because if this is it, well, man, this is this is sad, really. Because <laughs> life is life can get. I have a beautiful life. I have a blessed life. But the older I get, and you youngins will figure this out as y'all get, y'all get older. <laughs> you know, your joints start to ache. Your your body starts to fall apart. Things just don't work like they used to. And if this is all God has given us, has put us here to watch us do, and this, it's, it's not, not fun. So he gives us this hope, and he gives us, you bear fruit, and you're going to get your reward because you go and you prune those trees, and you take care of them, you groom them, and uh, next year they come back even fuller, and they do their job better, and you take care of them. Nature itself. Nature shows itself, us. yeah. yeah. That's awesome. right. Sure. So... So I have a question for you uh, to finish okay. this out. So what what made it said the noble and good heart is is the the good soil, right? Those. Mm-hmm. So what what made the was it good before the word came? What was it specifically about the the heart that made it good? That's a good question. You Meekness. Yeah, I was gonna say it's yeah. got to be a humble heart yeah, humble. because humility. It, with lack of yeah. humility, you won't receive it. Uh, and then that would be rebellious, hard-hearted, mm-hmm. stiff-necked. Th- those words would apply to that person. Yeah. But there's got to be a nature about a person before the word is placed in that soil that already exists. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, that any soul on earth can't receive that word. That even the hardest of hearts can say to themselves, I have declared, I have decided, I am resolved mm-hmm. to see this through, to read all the scriptures before I determine what I'm going to think about God, yeah. for example. The hardest heart can do that. And, this, and the power is in the word. Uh, the, remember, the farmer does not know how that it grows. Yeah. Um, but I, I, that's that a good sense? answer. Yeah. I, what I came to is it's the heart who hears and accepts the truth. Right. That's what made it good. It wasn't good in and of itself. No. Because there's none good, right, as Christ would say. There, yeah. You know, it's uh, hearing and understanding and accepting. That's right. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Absolutely right. Yes, very good. There's so much to say there. I, th- I think, but I mean, we could go that's on. A, that's a great start. A long time for that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> All right. Yeah. Absolutely. We still have 45 more parables to do, so we should probably move on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's look at uh, the parable of the wicked vine dressers next. You can find this in Matthew 21, starting in verse 33, or Mark 12, first verse. Or Luke 20, verses 9 through 19. Nice. So the wicked vine dressers, this this theme is not just, it's not originated by Christ. Uh, you can find similar a similar setting in the Old Testament. You, meant, you brought up the, uh, the, the vineyard of the Isaiah Lord in Isaiah 5. Yeah. Uh, also Psalm, Psalm 80. Verse 8 will speak of a vineyard of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 2 and 21 speaks of a vineyard too. So Christ is, I think, definitely uh, reminding maybe the Jews that heard him and, and studied, they, they would be reminded of, of these these chapters. But um, this this is a, an amazing parable in one particular in this study that I, I pulled new things out of. 
Uh, so we, we see God, or well, let's read it. I my, my notes maybe don't do, definitely do not do it justice, but I believe it says a, I'll just go ahead and read the beginning. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press and he built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. And Gideon sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my, my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those vine dressers? Let's stop there. We'll, we'll get into the second half maybe here in a little while. Okay. Uh, it's a crazy, crazy thought, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Can you imagine this happening? In, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're going to... In our day. We're going to work for this guy, and when he goes out of town, we're going to... We're going to be lazy. We're just going to slack off. And then you have the, uh, you know, he sent his servants to the vine dressers in verse 34. They may receive its fruit. They took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. It's pretty violent. Yeah. Very violent. And then, well, who's he talking about? What servants is he talking about? What's the parallel here? Well, we, we, we know from his explanation later on that and in Isaiah, <laughs> it's revealed that this vineyard is, is is Israel, right? Yeah. You know what? I'm willing to say it's Jerusalem because mm. I, in verse 39, they took him, the son, and cast him out of the vineyard. And, and Christ was crucified outside uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, Hebrews talks about that. He was killed outside the gates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Yeah. So the second half of that is really, really the meat there in verse 40. It says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? That's almost where you have to put yourself in that owner's mindset there. What are you going to do? Because who did they just kill? Your own son. They killed their son. Yeah. yeah he's, so now, now he's coming. Now the question's asked, what is he going to do when he gets here? And so here's the power of the parable. Who's the question to? It is to the very men who asked him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? That's why this, that's why this parable is coming out now. Uh, he questions him about the baptism of John and he goes directly into the parable of two sons, right? Mm -hmm. Father told one son, go work in the vineyard. He said, I will not. The other one said, I will. The one who said he will not eventually does. The one who says, I will never did. Which one did the right thing? They answer that question correctly, which indicts them. To, to what they had been doing and their behavior. And now, even more specifically, this wicked vine dresser parable. He asked them, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They give the answer. And, and we should too. We, we should too. It, it, it applies to us as well. We want to we watch you know, how we're living and, and what we're doing with all that God's blessed us with. But they say to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. And they will lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. And they, they have just spoken about what's coming upon them and the fact that God will grant repentance and forgiveness to Gentiles. He's going to lease this vineyard out to others. They, they themselves have said it. And then he quotes uh, from the Psalms and it says, Have you never read? <laughs> If you're if you're a, a doctor it. of the yeah. law, <laughs> and all you do is read, and, and Jesus but, says, "Have you never read in the scriptures?" Paul, Paul had an uncanny way of doing that as well. When he was especially in the uh, Book of Romans, he would say, uh, "Do you not know?" Yeah. You know, he would have that same thing. Christ yeah. is, is really getting after them here, saying, "Yeah, right. saying, have you never read? Never, never read the scriptures?" And you know, number verse forty six. Or verse 45 tells us exactly who he's talking to. That's right. He's talking to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They heard this and they proceeded to speak. And that made him mad. That's right. 
Yeah, they so sought to lay hands on him. From there on, that they're he just they're told them. Kill. He just told them that they killed the son. Yeah, and now they want to kill him. Right, it's amazing. He is beautifully and masterfully working towards his own crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, Jesus is not the victim in the crucifixion. He's the victor. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He is Absolutely. the author and finisher of our faith, and he go he goes there in victory. Correct. He is put to death because it's his father's will, not because those men figured out a way to trick God's son. He walks into that trap that they set. And so this parable, I mean, it's huge for them and for us that Jesus is already pointing to these things. Uh, powerful parable. So a couple of different places we could sit in that. You know, we could be uh, we, we could be a wicked vine dresser. Uh, we could kill the son, which we do through sin, but uh, there's a difference there because when the, the owner comes back, uh, he's going to come back and he's going to take vengeance onto those uh, that it says he will deal with them miserably and he will lease his vineyard to other vine dressers. So we fall into that, that category there in the latter because we are the other vine dressers. That's right. We're not of the children of Israel. We're not Jews. We are of, of the Gentile, if you will, uh, the outcast. Now the laws or the promise has been given to us as well. But that question in verse 40, Christ says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? He's asking that of us. What is he going to do to us when he comes back? Still applies. Now that, that hits me in the gut every time I read that because that's Christ himself saying that he's, he's going to come back. That's right. He, he's, when he, when he comes, not if. That's just like James says, when you fall into various trials and temptations, not if, but when you fall into various trials and when this guy comes back, this owner, and now God coming back, what, where am I going to be? You know, what, what what group do I fall into? Am I going to be the one who was out and now automatically Christ died for me and now I'm in? Which goes right back to the soul. What type of soul does my heart have? So <laughs> you're in. You're I'm all in. Yeah, <laughs> Give it to me, man. I'm, I'm there. Man, I'll tell you what. It's amazing how these things really, really tie together. Yeah. It speaks to the depth. Yeah, it sure. does. Yeah. And we're, we're not very smart. So imagine no, no. intelligent people see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That one is uh, very, yeah, you're right. Sam, we could sit and yeah. talk about that one all night, man. Oh, yeah. Is, all of these. Y'all went in a really... different direction than I did. You know, I, I was looking at the relationship of Israel to the church. I, you touched on that a yeah. little bit. Yeah. There, there yeah. is so much there. Yeah. There is so much there. Um, how about we take a break here and, and do our trivia questions? Let's do it. Okay. I'm ready to stop GW especially. I'm sure you will. Bring it. I guess you're starting out. Okay. Go with it. <laughs> Let's see if I can find a hard one here. Um, okay. We know that Jesus spoke of his death, burial, and resurrection before it happened. We know that he told his disciples. So in Matthew, how many times did he tell his disciples about his death, burial, and resurrection? Can I defer? <laughs> That's a hard question. Can I pass that one Is it off? really? Yeah. I don't know. I've never never studied that, to be honest. I've really? I've never, never looked. No. Okay. That's a good um, question. That's great. Yeah. Do you want to take a shot at it? How many times in Matthew did he tell them? Yeah. I don't think any other gospel yeah. changes the number. Well, so I'm thinking of Matthew 20, right. where he's speaking, the, the, you know, the, the last will be first and the first will be last. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I could I could try to recall to mind all the instances. I, I believe that's Matthew 20. Go, go to Matthew 20 and 17. And, and, and if you have titles above sections of your Bible, you'll see yeah. what it says there. Yeah. Mine says Jesus a third time predicts his death and resurrection. Yeah, so there's your answer. Three times. Three times. Oh, three. three times. So it's, okay. it's Matthew yeah. 16, 21, Matthew okay. 17, 22 through 23. And then Matthew 20, which is the one you looked up, verses 17 through 19. And uh, he's very specific about what they're going to do to him and who's involved. Yeah. The chief priests and the Pharisees will hand him over. He tells them that they're going to spit on him and mock him and curse him and crucify him. And he will raise the third day. Three times. And it, it is, it's amazing. Again, he's not the victim. He's the victor. He knows oh, yeah. what's happening. There's, there's nothing. He triumphed over death. That's and every, right. And everyone 
saw that. He's not hit. It's not hidden <laughs> from them. It's not hidden from him. And he even says he has the audacity to say, "I'm going to raise on the third day." Mm. Wow, that's awesome. All right, who's next? Well, I was not prepared. I did not come in with any questions at all. I was hoping that uh, we could skate past this one, or I could sit back and listen to you two do it. But obviously, You're not, not much for so homework, huh? Not much for homework. No, okay. mine are easy. Yes. Okay, uh, <laughs> Sam. Daniel 3, we're told of a, an account where some men uh, disobeyed a king and they were thrown into a fiery furnace. How many were thrown in there? Three. How Shut. many were seen in there? Four. Four. What was the yeah. fourth? One with the appearance of the Son of Man. There you go. That's right. See, One like the simple. Son of See man. I like to give questions where everyone can... Can learn, and that that's a hint to you guys. <laughs> I can I can tell by the way you're looking at me, <laughs> especially to Danny. Yeah, yeah so that's so, a hint, and that I'm, yeah. I may or may not take. Yes, that's okay. Is, I'll give him a verse completion question. No, no, no please yeah. don't. No, that that is correct. Three of them were thrown in. Twenty on verses. The furnace was so hot that even the men who threw them in there were they took their lives, and they looked down, and there were four of them walking around there. Yeah. They were amazed, and when they said that fourth one was like the image of the Son of God, and as they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke when they came no. out of the furnace. Their, their clothes weren't burning. Crazy. Yeah. The king is the one who saw. He said, how many yeah. did we throw in there? And they yeah. tell him, three, Lord. And he says, I see four. Wow. Powerful. Your turn, Sam. Uh, all right. Who should this go to? Um, you decide who gets it. GW. Yes. Do you know where's, the... Where's it at? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the answer to this riddle and who gave it? Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. You would give me a no. I see if y'all put me on the spot when you do this. Danny must know this because he's laughing. <laughs> this from this is something that you two have no, no, y'all, no. y'all been through before. Obviously, he's a judge and he's got really long hair. Oh well, that would be that would be Samson. Yes. Uh, so think about the riddle now. Out of the eater came something sweet. Mm-hmm. And what's the rest of it? And out of the strong came something sweet. Out of the eater came something to eat. Okay. And out of the strong came something sweet. Out of the strong came something sweet. Hmm. Oh, that's good. I'm not going to take any time and sit here and try to beat my head against okay. it and explain it to us. Yeah. Uh, in the story of Samson and Judges 14, uh-huh. uh, it's recorded that he killed a lion. And uh, later when he had passed back by that lion carcass, he saw that a beehive yes. had been built in that. Right. And he took from, from that and ate. And then later on, he proposed this riddle to a, a group of Philistine boys and said, yeah. uh, if you can answer this, then, you know, and they, they create yeah. a, a wager there and the story unfolds. But So much that we, I'd say we in general, myself, yeah. uh, the real guilty one, not looking at those old the old stories that we learned oh, as kids because yeah. we relate them to childhood stories so much you know yeah. samson and the yeah, long hair right. noah and the ark yeah. and oh that that's awesome now that's you know one important great. thing about that particular passage is samson he's a true gentleman because when when they when they give him the answer to the riddle he knows that his new wife told him because he she's the only one he told <laughs> mm-hmm. and he says if you had not plowed with my heifer <laughs> a little more bible she's like humor uh, honey <laughs> yeah that's, that's bible humor What'd you call me? Oh, no. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have never guessed. That's That's great. Thanks, dear. (laughs) What's for dinner, babe? (laughs) Whose turn is to ask? You got one more? It's my turn? Yeah. Okay, I've already asked you. You already got me. This is for Sam. I'm done. Okay. In Ezekiel 4, the Lord gives Ezekiel um, a recipe for bread, and it's not a good one. Um, so that's what we call the Ezekiel 4-9 bread. Mm-hmm. You can buy that in stores, by the way. It's called Ezekiel 4-9 yeah, yeah, yes, bread. Yes, you can. It, it is <laughs> not good. Um, so in in Ezekiel 4, verses 9 through 12, uh, the Lord gives him instruction on how to cook that. And so what was he supposed to use for fuel for the fire? Uh, well, the Lord told him originally to use human dung. Uh, human waste, that's right. Ezekiel uh, asked God to... To allow him to use, I believe, cow. Yeah, cow, cow manure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the Lord allows him to do that. That's right. So that's Ezekiel four and verse twelve specifically, where he says, "Cook it on human waste." And Ezekiel says, "Oh Lord God, 
Please do no. they do the same with the bread that you buy in the store? <laughs> Is that what gives it its amazing flavor or what? Wow. It's like cooked yeah. just like Ezekiel did. Yeah. No oh, kidding. Okay, so my turn now, right? Yes. Danny. Uh-oh. Book of Job. I'm going to throw this one in there, see if you remember this. Okay. So Job was, he was a sick man. Okay. And Satan had taken his health, taken his family. And he was, he was miserable. But in his misery, he had some friends, I use that loosely, yeah. come to counsel him. How many friends came to counsel Job in his time of grief, in his time of sorrow? Are we talking total or are we talking about... How many friends came to counsel Job in his time of grief? Oh, Careful. Are you including his wife? No, his wife wasn't there to counsel okay, him in okay. his time of grief, and she was she was doing her own grieving. She well, she was, had some counsel and wasn't yeah, grief. Though. Right, yeah. yeah she, she said, gave, curse God and die. That's yeah. right. She gave counsel. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go with four. Okay. Do you think that's right? Are you telling me that's right? Explain yourself. Oh, man. What are the names? <laughs> Bildad, Zophar. Is that right? I didn't ask I would for have names. To, okay. He didn't ask for names. <laughs> okay. So, so the, I think the I fourth one is Elihu. Because Elihu gives counsel for four or five chapters towards the end. Who is his counsel toward? He's more. Job? Initially, he hits Job's friends, right? Yep. He's and angry with he, them. Why does he do that? Because he's the youngest, right? He's he waits. Y'all are right. older, and I was going right. to respect your your wisdom. And, That's right. And man, I haven't heard anything good out of y'all. Y'all are y'all are pathetic, basically, is what That's he's right. telling him. So yeah, he had three friends come to counsel him and to talk to him. And then that fourth one, the tag-along, Elihu's the one that actually dispelled the wisdom on him. He was like, look, man, you guys are bad. Y'all That's are right. Bad he said, shit. I've waited patiently, and I'm like a wineskin ready to burst. Yeah, I can't hold it back, man. I, I've got to say something here. This It's my turn. Y'all sit down and listen to me now. I've, I've had enough. Yes. And, and so the last chapter of Job, the Lord tells Job, or tells the three friends, go to Job and make sure he prays for you. Because you, you spoke ill of me and who I am. Yeah. And Elihu's not condemned in that group. He's not in there. No, he's not. It's very interesting to that's watch some, what he That's says. some awesome stuff there, yeah. It really is. Yeah, that's he, had, he had three friends come in, but there were four of them. There was a tag along there, and he was the one that actually gave the, the most wisdom out of all. <laughs> How about that? All right, good job. There's one more, right? One more for you. He looks uh, eager. He is. Yeah, <laughs> he, he wants this one. Well, I think this is an easier question. Um, well, that's not fair. <laughs> no, it's not. After Abram rescues Lot from the five kings, Genesis 14, Melchizedek, king of Salem and the priest of God most high, brings out a meal to Abram and blesses Abram. What, what was that meal? Hmm. I would, I'm going to have to guess because I don't know. I know the story, but uh, it would have to be an animal, there's going to be an animal sacrifice, not a sacrifice, but uh, a calf, fatted calf, and some cakes. No, 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 actually. No, no, and no? Man. <laughs> Bread and wine. Bread and wine. Genesis 14, 18. Okay. I thought I'd just fall back on what typically is right, offered. Yeah, yeah, right. The fatted calf. I think cat. so. Yeah. Bread and, and wine. Oh, I wonder if there's a tie into there somehow. I think so. Very interesting. How would you? How would you get that? Any kind of a tie-in between bread and wine, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. <laughs> That's really cool, man. Yeah. Well, now I will never forget because you burned me in front of everybody. <laughs> so, very, very interesting to um, to look at the way Christ would uh, would speak to the people at that time; those who who were uh, receptive of. Of his word, and those who weren't as well, he was still speaking to them, and they just weren't listening to him. And they, well, they would listen, but they wouldn't hear. No, they would not hear what he had to say. Just like a kid staring at the parents when they're getting the chore list or something, they're just like, "No, we're, this is not going to work for me." And it was convenient for him to not listen to him, to not hear him. We see that uh, a lot, a lot today. Yeah. So, are we you doing another one? No. Yes, I, maybe we should. Do a part two on this. We do. Why don't we? Let's do a part two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, as you see, there's so much to look at here. So, uh, 
for next time, please go back and read read these parables. Look at them again. I know you will. God will bless you with, with something new every time you look at it. Remember what Christ said: "To to he who has more will be given." You know, so you have some. Go back. There's there's more to get there. Always. There's more fruit to to pull out of out of these parables. Um, so we looked at the sower and we looked at the wicked vine dressers. Uh, I want to thank you again for your time and, and thank you all for. Uh, for engaging in this great study with me. That was great. Uh, I never, never sit down and, and study without learning something else. Yeah, that's and, right. And it's very profound. As many years as we've been studying, and um, it, it just it never, never ceases to amaze me that I learn something new every time. That's right. Amen. Reach out to us if you have a, a a parable that, that you are interested in or, or something in scripture that you would like to, to, to hear discussed by us. And certainly, as always, if you have a, a comment, a suggestion, or a question for us, you can contact us at commonsensegospel at yahoo.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah.